good like that, huh? <laughs> All right, well, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth. That's in the Old Testament. Joshua judges Ruth. Book of Ruth, chapter 2. Book of Ruth, chapter 2. You know, we recognize February for different things. The Super Bowl's played in February now. It's still winter north of us. Aren't you glad you're down here? Amen? I moved here six and a half, almost six and a half years ago from Colorado, and the temperature there was three degrees. Just a couple, yeah, I think it was Monday, it was three degrees. February, we think of it for other reasons. Black History Month, it's President's Day weekend and more. Uh, what is it? There's something else. Uh, oh, yeah, Valentine's Day. <laughs> a day when we acknowledge in many different ways, a number of ways, those who we love, especially our spouse. And the book of Ruth is a good, clean, old-fashioned, Old Testament, truthful, historical love story. The man in the love story in the book of Ruth is a man named Boaz. And by the way, that's not an actual picture of Boaz. <laughs> All right? But rather, uh, the emphasis in this message tonight is, uh, is not on the love story, but it is on defining Boaz as a man of character, a man who could be considered a hero, a hero. We are in a dearth of real good moral men who can be considered heroes for our younger generation, aren't we? I think it's important to keep men like pastors and missionaries, especially missionaries, out there in the forefront as heroes in front of our young people. But uh, well before that, there was this man named Boaz in the Old Testament. And um, the emphasis is on him as a godly man, qualities of a godly man, including Boaz's instincts to obey God's leading, obeying God, uh, God's leading right away, and obeying in spite of risks to Boaz's reputation and to his wealth. He risked wealth, we see in the book of Ruth. His story is told in uh, Ruth chapters 2 through the end of chapter 4. And his story, and he's mentioned rather in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. You know, heroes are easier to admire than to actually define them. You know, um, people who are lifted up in our culture as heroes for, you know, fire and rescue services, a lot of them... Uh, are dumbfounded that they're considered heroes because they think to themselves, I was just doing my job. Um, and so sometimes heroes are hard to define. They're seldom conscious of their moments of heroism as well. And others, they don't recognize their acts as being very heroic. Heroes simply do the right thing at the right time, whether or not they realize their impact, the impact their action will have. Perhaps the one quality they share is a tendency to think of others before they think of themselves. And Boaz was a hero like that. He was just such a hero as that. So who was Boaz? Well, if you're in Ruth chapter 2, let's look at some scriptures there. Boaz was, first of all, a wealthy farmer. And uh, in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. 
And Lord, I pray that we would be different because we've spent time with you tonight at First Baptist and time pausing in our lives to look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, verse 2, if you're there, the book of Ruth, uh, some background there. You have, first of all, Boaz introduced, and then you see the kindness that he performs for uh, for Ruth and Naomi. And uh, a little bit of cultural background. When the wheat and the barley were finally ready to be harvested, they would hire reapers. And uh, that was to cut down those stalks and tie them into bundles. And Jewish law demanded that the corners of the fields would not be harvested. In addition, any grain that was dropped was free game to the gleaners. Gleaners were poor people who picked it up and used it for food. And that's specified in the book of Leviticus, if you want to write it down. Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus 23, and Deuteronomy chapter 24. And the purpose of this law was to feed the poor and to prevent owners from hoarding. And this law served as a type of welfare for the people of Israel. And because she was a widow with no means of providing for herself, Ruth went into the fields to glean some grain. Now, uh, another thing about Boaz is that he lived his life in Bethlehem of Israel. Bethlehem of Israel. Look at Ruth chapter 2. Look at verse 4. It says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. In chapter 1, we see that Ruth and Naomi travel back to Bethlehem. You know, uh, Bethlehem's a real place. It's not a made-up place. You know, some people in culture think of the Christmas story in Bethlehem, and it's just not real to them. I check the weather on Bethlehem frequently. And this week in Bethlehem, it's in the lower 50s with clouds and maybe a shower. And the overnight lows are in the 40s in Bethlehem this week. But um, uh, Bethlehem. Now, we know Bethlehem uh, has some special significance in Scripture, and we'll touch on that tonight. But his relatives, Boaz's relatives, his distant cousins were Elimelech and Naomi. His wife obviously became Ruth. And then they had a son together named Obed, very special. Now, in his dealings with other people, Boaz, we see in Scripture, he was always sensitive to their needs, to needs of people around him. His words to his employees, his relatives, they were colored with kindness. He spoke kindly. Look again at verse 4. It says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. Look how they answered. They answered him, The Lord bless thee. Now, we could spend time drilling into that verse, talking about the uh, meaning of capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, here in this passage. But that's not the focus. Um, But suffice it to say that Boaz was a man who, who spoke kindly to people. And he offered. He offered help openly. Look with me at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. Now, he wasn't grudging in his giving. It says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from thence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Verse 9, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, 
Go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So when he discovered who Ruth was, Boaz took several steps to help because she had been faithful to his relative, Naomi. Remember, Ruth is not from Israel. She's a Moabitess. She's from Moab. And, uh, and, her, and uh, Naomi's son married Ruth. Of course, he died, and they traveled back together. Ruth, Naomi herself was already um, a, a widow for unspecified years. But look with me now at verses 14 through 16 of chapter 2. And it says, Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip the mo- thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. Verse 15, And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let her uh, fall also, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, or on purpose is the idea, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Boy, he was a generous man. And, uh, and so he did some extra things to take care of someone, knowing that um, she was poor, a widow, and that Naomi, his kin, would also uh, be struggling through these days. Now, Boaz went far beyond, says uh, one, uh, uh, one commentator, Boaz went far beyond the intent of the gleaner's law in demonstrating his kindness and generosity. This writer also says, not only did he let Ruth glean in his field, he also told his workers to let some of the grain fall in her way, in the path, and out of his abundance, he provided for the needy. You know, I, the Lord Jesus said, according to the Apostle Paul, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Boy, that was, that was the spirit of Boaz. Now, when Naomi advised Ruth to request protection, Boaz made it clear he was ready to just marry her if the legal complications could be worked out. Now, look with me at chapter 3. <clears throat> chapter 3. verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? So Naomi's thinking ahead to days when she may herself be passed, and uh, and Ruth, the younger woman, may need care. And then she says in verse 2, And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Now skip over to verse 11. It says, And now, my daughter, fear not, this is Boaz, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people, I love this, doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. I'm glad at First Baptist Church I know some godly virtuous men, but there are also some godly virtuous women at First Baptist Church. I'm thankful for them. Encouragement to me. They tell me, they're praying for me. But Ruth was a virtuous woman. How do we know this? Well, Scripture tells us several things. We don't have time. The focus tonight is on Boaz, but suffice it to say three things about Ruth that uh, compiled to make her a virtuous woman. Number one, she had amazing loyalty. Ruth was amazingly loyal, especially to her mother-in-law, Naomi, pledging even to die with Naomi if need be. Flip back to chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. There's a beautiful, beautiful song written called the Song of Ruth 
from verses 16 and 17. I recommended it to Marisa Shelburne years ago. She had girls here at the school sing it. Beautiful piece of music set to this text in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, 17. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Now, this is a Moabitess talking to an Israelite woman, her mother-in-law. She's pledging as a foreigner to stay with her. It says, where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. I believe that's a conversion experience right there. Verse 17, where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she, Naomi, left speaking unto her. Ruth, okay, all right, go ahead. Come on with me back to Israel. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a special thing here, the relationship that the two women have. So a lot of these phrases here, by the way, in verses 16 and 17, are built into a lot of vows that people make in weddings these days. And that's kind of special, too. But number two, number one, she had amazing loyalty. Number two, Ruth had initiative. Initiative. Their backs were against the wall, so to speak, with, with uh, needing to provide daily food, sustenance for them. But back to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Understand this, that Ruth had made her home in a foreign land. And so instead of depending on Naomi or waiting for good fortune to happen... She took the initiative. Ruth went to work. She was not afraid of admitting her need or working hard to supply it. And so when Ruth goes out to the fields, God provides for her through an amazing man named Boaz. Now notice, God provides for her through Boaz. And if you're waiting for God to provide, maybe you're struggling tonight. A lot of people in our economy are. It may be that uh, God is waiting for you. God's waiting for you to take the first step of faith to demonstrate just how important your needs really are. Now, number three, Ruth wasn't just amazingly loyal. She didn't only have a great initiative. She was hardworking. She was hardworking. Now, uh, if you're there still in the book of Ruth, we're going to uh, flip over to, uh, well, you're in chapter two already. Uh, look with me at verses uh, 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Lost my place. I'm back. All right. Verses 8 and 9. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou uh, not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Verse 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged young men? And we read part of this already. She was willing to go and do the dirty work of gleaning and working hard, whether it was cold or hot, whether it was clean or dirty, she was willing to get work done. So Boaz noticed, by the way, Ruth's hard work. Had she considered herself a little too above that kind of work of gleaning in the fields with other poor people or embarrassed, then she would have missed the opportunity of, of a lifetime of meeting Boaz, changing her life and becoming an ancestor to a great king. Now, it's an awesome thing 
when a virtuous woman and a virtuous man meet and make a life together. <laughs> Serving and working for the kingdom of Christ in this world. I pray that for our young men and women in our college career class. And uh, uh, upwards of this summer, 100% of them were serving in ministry here on the campus of First Baptist. That was an amazing uh, discovery. But <clears throat> oft times, however, many a gal or many a guy will wish for a spouse that's good, will be good to them, someone who's virtuous, while they themselves, though, give no attention to being godly building Christ-likeness in their own character. But not so with Ruth. She was a virtuous woman before she knew there was a Boaz. And not so with Boaz. He was a virtuous man before he knew there was going to be a Ruth. Amen. <laughs> and so your reputation is formed by the people that you watch. I mean, who watch you, rather, at work, at play, in town, at home, in church. Some of us, we... We can't escape being recognized on vacation even. I remember years ago, I was going somewhere, a busy airport. Oh, Chicago. It's flying through Chicago. And, uh, you know, and I'm looking around and experiencing that uh, the little cultural center that they have there. And all of a sudden, out of the blue comes an older man's voice saying, Well, hey there, Brother Troy, how are you? And I looked around, and it was my friend from Denver, Dr. Ed Nelson. And uh, I was like, oh, my goodness. Doc, how are you? And he had, he, had a, uh, he had a relative, his nephew. He was uh, traveling, and his nephew was taking care of him on that particular trip. But I've run into friends I know but at, at, in airports. And, you know, th th you just never know what God's doing. Um, but these were virtuous people, and you never know who's watching you to check you out. The book of Proverbs says that your neighbor comes and searches you out. A good reputation comes by consistently living out what you believe. Living out what you believe. No matter what group of people you're in, no matter what your surroundings are, you're going to be true to the Lord. But there was existing in Israel this peculiar law. Look at chapter 2 and verse 20. Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord. Who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. There was this particular law called the kinsman redeemer. Okay? And so it encouraged, Naomi encouraged her to see if Boaz would take that responsibility and become a kinsman redeemer. Let me give you some background. A kinsman redeemer was a relative who volunteered to take responsibility for extended family. Maybe some of you have had to do that. Um, I had a, a friend in Colorado the years that I was there, and uh, he had, I think, three or four kids of his own, and his uh, sister and brother-in-law were tragically killed in a car accident, and they had five, and he adopted all five. They had eight kids over, over a period of short time. They all of a sudden had eight kids. And he was a kinsman redeemer. He took responsibility for some of those in his family. And he may not have met that biblical type definition, but he was a good man. And um, it was someone who volunteered to take responsibility for extended family. When a woman's husband died, according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, 
<clears throat> the law provided that she could marry a brother of her dead husband. But Naomi had no other sons. Both her sons had died in Moab. And in this case, the nearest male relative to her husband could become a kinsman redeemer and marry. But the nearest relative did not have to marry the widow. He could decline. And if he declined, and then he'd go to another relative. Do you want to marry this woman? And so if he chose not to, it would keep moving along until someone could take the place and marry, marry this person. Now, if no one chose to help the widow, she would probably just live in poverty the rest of her life because in Israel, the culture was that the inheritance and the law say that the, that the inheritance was passed on to the son or the nearest male relative, not to the wife. So to take the bite of pain out of the inheritance laws, there were other laws for gleaning and laws for kinsman redeemer. And so I'm glad tonight, though, that spiritually speaking, by the way, that just like Ruth and Naomi, they were in physical poverty. There was a time in my life and our lives when we were in spiritual poverty. And I'm glad tonight that we have a kinsman redeemer who stepped up, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came as God. He came to earth as man in order to save us. By his death on the cross, Christ redeemed us from sin and desperation and hopelessness and purchased us to be his own possession. <clears throat> so, with what, though, did Jesus pay for our souls? His blood, his blood. You know, 1 Peter 1, verses 18, 19, it says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And this blood-bought purchase of Christ, it guarantees our eternal inheritance. Amen? It's guaranteed. It's signed in blood. Now, go with me to verse 12. It says, And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Boaz says this, Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Verse 13, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, okay, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Boy, he's making a vow there. And then he says to her, lie down until the morning. And so Boaz not only did the right thing, but Boaz did things right away. Not only did the right thing, but did them right away. And you can see that as we continue on. It says in uh, other places, it says, then, when Boaz went, uh, then went Boaz up to the gate. This is in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz came... Uh, spake, came by unto whom he said, Ho, oh, such an one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So they start to arbitrate about uh, um, Naomi's situation because there's land associated with whoever marries Naomi or the relative, Ruth in this case. And, uh, and there's land involved. And that wasn't Boaz's uh, motivation. Scripture says clearly that she was a woman known in the community, being virtuous. Now, uh, I've ingrained this into the thinking of my Bible class students the last couple years. 
this statement, obedience brings blessings and disobedience causes conflicts. Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience causes conflicts. And uh, Boaz was an unselfish man. He had a lot to lose by honoring Naomi's and Ruth's request, especially since the first child would be Naomi's heir, not his. So, but Boaz focused on Ruth's virtuous qualities and was honored that she came to him. This is amazing time when culture looked upon women, especially foreign women like Ruth a Moabitess, more as property than as a human being. And he saw past that culture and saw the virtue that she had. Boaz had much to lose, little to gain, but still he did what was right, and God honored Boaz. So this question here, I hope it provokes our thinking. How do you respond when the choice is between doing something for yourself or doing what's right? I want to encourage you to do what's right and let God take care of the results. The late Dr. Bob Jones used to say, do right and let the stars fall. Doesn't matter if the universe is going to crash down. In other words, you obey God and let God help and bless you. But Boaz instinctively obeyed right away. And I want to call your attention to that. He obeyed right away. You know, the kind of obedience that God blesses possesses three characteristics. The kind of obedience that God blesses possesses three characteristics. Number one, doing exactly what you're told. Or in the case here, you do exactly what God prompts you to do. Doing exactly what God prompts you to do. I think sometimes as independent Baptists, we've lost a sense of the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to do incredible, special things in our lives. I, I could go on giving you experience after experience what soul winning experiences and other things that God has done in my life. I wouldn't want it to sound like a bragging money, plus we're almost out of time. But instinctively, Boaz obeyed right away. Three qualities, though, of obedience. Number one, doing exactly what God says or what our authorities say. Number two, doing it right away, which is what we see in the life of Boaz. Number three, doing it with a right heart attitude. So I'm just going to say right now, I think I had 20-something minutes for the message tonight, and it takes me 30 minutes to preach a 25-minute message, okay? So hang on for about five more minutes, all right? Um, illustration. Young man at his new job, by this definition that you see on the screens here. He's told by his boss to fill the dumpster with the broken down boxes. And he's supposed to do it by Friday noon because Friday late afternoon, the trash company's coming to dump that dumpster. And it's going to be full. And they don't want it overflowing over the weekend. And so this young man, uh, you know, he thinks to himself, okay, all right. And he delays, he procrastinates, and then he only partially fills that dumpster with the boxes because by the end of the day, that afternoon, now he's too tired. Oh, I'm too tired to do, do it all. Did he obey? He partially filled it. Did he obey? No, he didn't. And then the next time he fills it Friday afternoon and he can't finish because he started too late and the truck arrived. Did he obey? By delaying to do the job? No, he didn't obey his boss then either. Third scenario, 
He does it. He does it on time. And he fills it. Does exactly what his boss said. But he's grumbling and he's mumbling and he's kicking the dumpster and making a fuss where others see him. And his co-workers lose confidence in wanting to work with him. <laughs> Did he obey? Not from the heart, he didn't. Okay? Doing it with a right heart attitude. So, of course, he couldn't foresee... Um, Boaz, that is, he couldn't foresee all that his actions would accomplish. He could not have known that the child that he would have had with Ruth someday would be an ancestor of both David and Christ. He only met the challenge of taking the right action in the situation facing him. He took the right action in the situation facing him. Now look at verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Verse 17. And the, woman, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, boy, saying, There is a, boar, a son born to Naomi. Now, Ruth gave birth, but remember, it's Naomi's heir. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So he's a long relative. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then verses uh, 5 and 6, it gives depth of that genealogy. It says, Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. So there it is. There's the proof right there in Matthew chapter 1. Unless you want to trace other genealogies in the Old Testament, it's easier to just read it in Matthew. It's important to note Matthew lists Joseph only as the husband of Mary, by the way, not the father of Jesus in his genealogy. Matthew's genealogy gives Jesus' legal and royal lineage through Joseph. Mary's ancestral line is recorded in Luke 3. Both Mary and Joseph, it's important to keep this in mind, both Mary and Joseph were direct descendants of David. Matthew traced, the traced his genealogy back to Abraham, while Luke traced it back to Adam. Matthew wrote to the Jews, so Jesus is shown as a descendant of their father, Abraham. Now let's get back to the message. We're faced with this challenge, though, in, in our daily choices. Like Naomi's relative, we're often more concerned with making the soft choice. I have a friend who calls it soft choices, instead of difficult choices during the day. Soft choices. Then with making right ones. Chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So that relative made the soft choice, and Ruth and the land go to Boaz. Now we're almost done. More often than not, the right choice is pretty clear to us. And you know, there's, there's a saying that they use at camp. Two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing ourself. And so you ask God to give you a special awareness in your choices as well as commitment to make the right ones. Amen? We're almost done. Qualities of a heroic, godly man like Boaz. Number one, he was a man of his word. We need men today who will be men of their word. They say they're going to do something, they're going to follow through if it hurts them. Number two, Boaz was a man sensitive to those in need. He cared for the workers around him. How about you? Are you sensitive to people around you? That's part of the prompting of the Holy Spirit as well. That God alerts you to needs of people around you. Number three, a keen sense of responsibility and integrity. That was Boaz. 
a keen sense of responsibility for his kinfolk and a man of integrity. And then he was successful and shrewd businessman and he took risks, but trusted God. Took risks, but he trusted in God. A couple of lessons from his life and then we're done. It can be heroic to do what must be done and to do it right. See, for some of you dads in here, you don't know it, but you're a hero every day to your kids, especially to some of your sons, by just choosing to do right every single day. And then secondly, God often uses little decisions to carry out his big plan. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I ask that you would drive something home in our hearts that will make us more like Christ tonight. Make us like a man like Boaz, rich integrity and character. Well, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. How many you say, Pastor, that's what I needed tonight? Pray for me. Maybe you've stumbled this week. Yes, anybody else? You've struggled. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. God bless you. How many of you say, Pastor, as best I know how, I'm serving the Lord, walking a clear conscience toward others and toward the Lord. Can I see your hand if that's you? Yes, amen. All over, all over. I'm thankful that God loves us and forgives us. And you can come to him, as it says, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you can become a man or a woman of integrity at the moment that you obey God again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be pleased with these, your people. We are your sheep and the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, I pray that we would walk being attentive to the prompting of your Holy Spirit this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attentiveness tonight, folks. God bless you.